and welcome to the Meta Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Christian Shabu. And I am Lamar Womble. And today, my friends, I am very excited because we have on the podcast none other than my sister from another mister, Lily Womble, who is a dating coach and lives in Brooklyn uh, with her fiance, Chris, and is the founder of Date Brazen. You can check her out at datebrazen.com. Also has a podcast by the same name. Lily, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. What's up? I'm so glad to be here. You know, I'm a little bit, honestly, I read the questions that you had sent over. I was like, um, I have nothing but an extremely biased take. You know what I'm saying? Like I have, I have nothing but, uh, my bias. I wish I, I, I honestly was like, I wish I'm, I wish I was Brene Brown today. And I had all this research into masculinity oh, and how it, all this, like all this, you know, decades of research and experience, but alas, I only have myself. And so, uh, I'm excited and a little nervous. Well, Lily, you can certainly be the Brene Brown of the Men Up podcast. You should also know that one of our other co-hosts, Drew, every time we have an episode, he quotes Brene Brown. Um, So so just know that literally every single episode. So uh, we'll hold you in high regard here, certainly. Thank you very much. And and we also will say this. I think one of the things that as we get into the conversation around uh, masculinity, toxic masculinity, uh, you know, we we had a lot of conversations before about who we wanted to have on and like having this conversation. And, you know, we just want to be very clear that like it's your credentials and yourself that we wanted to have on, not necessarily you coming to teach us about what it's like for women to deal with toxic masculinity. masculinity. And not that you would assume that, but we just want to be very clear for ourselves that like we are not asking women and to put us in our place or give us the, the 401 of what we need to know. Um, it's just important for us to acknowledge that. So, yeah, thanks. Can you actually just start off by telling us like what you do and, and why Date Brazen and how you ended up there? I started my career in the feminist nonprofit space. So like the feminist advocacy nonprofit space, I was going around the world to conferences on women's status and development in the developing world uh, and was was hustling hard, making that nonprofit living. And then I pivoted hard because I got really burnt out. I don't know if y'all can relate, but- We know that burnout. That burnout was so real. So I was like, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to fulfill this lifelong dream of trying to be a musical theater actress. Okay. Sort of out of left field for a lot of my coworkers. They were like, I didn't know that this was a lifelong dream. And I was like, turns out I was only showing you a part of me. And so I, I moved to New York. I had a billion jobs to sustain myself. I was a nanny, a preschool teacher. I was a balloon hat maker at Senior Frogs in Times Square. Fantastic. Meanwhile, I needed another side job because as you do trying to support yourself in New York City, and I landed in this matchmaking firm. So I became, I, uh, you know, applied for and became a matchmaker at the largest national firm in the US thinking it'll be a funny story one day about how I was a matchmaker. But what I found actually in diving into the work was that wow, I really love working with women specifically on their dating lives because I saw that it was this microcosm of every hope, joy, dream, fear, insecurity, desire that we had. And so, and that everybody has, I think. 
And so this matchmaking thing became a cool way for me to work with women on some deeper issues um, and also set them up on dates. Now, at the, at the same time, I identified as a late bloomer in my romantic life. Like I didn't have much romantic experience. I was uh, basically had this belief internally that I was too much, you know, quote, too much to find what I wanted. I had always been told mm. by boys, girls, my parents, my family, oh, you're so, you're so intense. You're so bossy, so sensitive. And so, and I internalized that and ended up attracting men who also believed that I was too much. And so I was in this toxic romantic relationship while I was a matchmaker. I was like giving different advice than I was taking for myself. And so I came to this breaking point where I was like, I can no longer live in this chasm of, um, you know, this, this dissonance, right. This like what I say and what I'm doing. And so I broke up, I found the courage to break up with this guy. I looked for support. My therapist didn't know what to tell me in my dating life because she hadn't dated in 30 years. Like she, uh, yeah. So like, you know, older therapists. And, um, so I was like, well, she's not going to help me move forward. She can help me emotionally, but like what next, how do I find the right relationship now and not end up in a toxic one again. Then I looked to my friends and family and they were like, swipe more, go on more dates, like mm. play the numbers game. Are you sure you're not being too picky? All these things, which I now know they were unconsciously feeding into a patriarchal and uh, conventional narrative that actually has people playing smaller and exhausting themselves, specifically women. So didn't want that. Then I looked at matchmaking only like a small percentage of matchmaking clients were finding long-term success because the solution was just a first date deep. Right. Mm. And so I realized that I needed a deeper solution to thrive. And that's where date brazen was born because I wanted to help women really deeply understand themselves. I needed to deeply understand myself and my preferences and why I was okay, accepting less and what was going on for me. And so through that internal work, I developed this method that I now use with hundreds of women around the world where I get to go into their deeper essence-based preferences, help them build a, uh, you know, a really deep foundation of reflective work and information, and then build a tactical strategy to match that is super intentional. And for me, that meant feeling great while I was single, when I was doing this work, and then also meeting the love of my life, Chris. Hey so, so, and, and for my, my clients, it means like, Hey, you feel confident in yourself and what you want for the first time you bless and release people with ease. You no longer settle. You end up in the best relationships of your life and you set boundaries like a boss. That's amazing. Changing other people's lives, changing your own life too, by doing this work, yeah. right. Which is so profound. You know, Lily, you've mentioned several times here, this idea of it being a problem whether that was in your own life, within the greater context of society, of a, a woman taking up a lot of space and somehow that's a problem, right? Like, mm -hmm. and so I wonder for you, like, you know, do you have any examples? Like, where did that come from? Where did that idea come from either in your own life or, or from the world you're surrounded by that somehow a woman taking up space is a, is a challenge? Yeah, I mean, it really came from the church, I think, mm -hmm. that I grew up in. Um, I grew up a Baptist in Alabama. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I grew up in a church that was like moderately progressive. Like our church broke away from the Southern Baptist convention when during integration, they broke away because they 
were pro-integration, right? So we were a little more, um, you know, a little more progressive than the Southern Baptists, both and we still didn't allow women to be leaders in this church. Mm. The women could not be pastors. Um, I was told at a very young age that, um, oh, Lily, you just like, you need to sit down, right? Like Mm. you're, you're taught. And my parents were incredibly supportive and incredibly, you know, um, you know, they loved that I took the stage, but it always also came with this, like, but are you sure, you know, this undertone of, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to take the stage? Cause I was really, um, ambitious. I am really ambitious and like out loud, man, like I was, uh, you, you know, protesting from a very young age, things that I didn't under, like, like I didn't fully understand, but I knew were wrong. And as a young white girl, right. Like I was also learning, um, <laughs> learning about how, uh, I felt inequality and then like people who were not white were feeling a different sort of inequality, like even deeper and even more, um, unjust. And so like, I don't know, I just remember the church was a way that I learned that my teachers in school were very discouraging sometimes, uh, of speaking out for, for me at least, um, and I saw these, all these mediocre white men, like white boys mm. truly excelling, um, and excelling in the way that they were being lifted up and, and lauded and, and given, expe- giving, given experiences, given the benefit of the doubt, given, um, you know, all these things. And, and, uh, I was angry about it. <laughs> the dissonance you were speaking about from being in a toxic relationship with somebody that was toxic and then having to like turn around maybe the next day and give advice to women about what they should or should not do or how they should pursue relationships. What did that feel like? And then, you know, as, as you were living through it, what was that like? Lamar really, honestly, it was traumatic. Mm. <laughs> like I, um, and I only realized that it was traumatic like recently because I went so quickly from that relationship ending to using it as fuel for my business. Right that I got very used to telling the story, which the story is, it was this, it was within 15 minutes that I would feel shitty cry about this relationship, beg for more. And then 15 minutes later, take a matchmaking call. So, so it felt like the, like the, the, the darker side of Hannah Montana, just like to the, the, the worst of both worlds. It felt like, you know what I'm saying? Um, because I was living these two different lives and I felt really inauthentic and I don't like feeling inauthentic. I'm, I'm, uh, an Aquarius. If that means anything to you, it doesn't really to me, but I have heard that that makes sense. I think it's like, what you see is what you get. Right. But at that time, it was not what you see is what you get. It was like very, um, out of alignment and disjointed, but the, the sad piece of it was that it felt like the truth. It felt like the truth that I had to settle. It felt like the truth that not, more wasn't possible. And I think that that's why so many people stay so long in toxic and unhealthy romantic relationships, not to mention abusive relationships it had a whole other layer of gaslighting and manipulation. And, um, but for me, I truly had gaslit myself and I was allowing, I had allowed him to gaslight me into believing this was all there was um, because I believed it was the truth from a lot of programming. Mm. Wow. So let's take a step back here for a second. You've mentioned several different examples of how 
manhood or masculinity has shown up uh, in your personal life, right? Like, and certainly in your professional life too. So just taking a step back and saying, you know, when you first hear the words manhood and masculinity, what comes to mind? First of all, I don't have great connotations, right? Like, I don't think that the, I was thinking about this as I was like wandering around my house this morning, like thinking about what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Um, because part of me wants to say like, you know, manhood and masculinity is an expression of the person who is expressing it. And then it, so the definition is very, can be very fluid and can be very, that's the like 2021 Lily's lived, you know, Lily's an adult, like that's that answer. But if you had asked like Lily as a 16 year old, what manhood, manhood and masculinity was, I would say angry. I would say, uh, uh, um, sharp. I would say, um, uh, very heavy and, um, authoritative and, um, sometimes dumb, right? Like I would, I would say all these things. That's real talk. And I, Absolutely. Yeah. I also, yeah. I also in high school, like made it my mission. Oh my God, guys. Like I made this nonprofit in high school to, to, um, support and like raise awareness and money for survivors of sex trafficking in Alabama. And so like, wow. there was this whole side of like advocacy and nonprofit life that had to do with like the victimization of women and girls, um, usually by powerful men that mm. was like a huge part of my growing up. I mean, y'all, I went to, help um, at the Alabama State House in Montgomery, um, a group I was working with was going to present the first piece of legislation um, for sex against sex trafficking in Alabama. There was no previous legislation. We had relied on the federal law only, which wasn't very useful because there's a lot of sex trafficking and human trafficking in general in the Southern states, like from Atlanta um, to New Orleans, there's just like pipeline. Anyway, we're getting into the weeds of this. There, um, I went to the state house to present this bill with, with my mentors and one of the state representatives, who's an older white man, of course, grabs my, my mentor who had written this bill, grabs her and says, I'm going to traffic you as oh a joke, God. as a fucking joke. I'm sorry. Can I curse? Anyway. Yeah. So I had this like sort of warped sense of masculinity and manhood because of those very distinct intense experiences with men who were just jacked up on themselves, you know, um, and who didn't, who weren't taught differently that they were just like given the key to the city and allowed to run wild to me. And this is not just like men, but it seems to be a lot of men, usually men in power or very like dominant men, um, even regular people, non-celebrities, non-politicians, there's a lack of belief of the experience of a woman um, and things that they've seen, either things that they've been through or uh, uh, that they can't possibly feel unsafe. Can you speak to a little bit about like your, just what you think about uh, men and even some women's inability to believe a woman's experience when they're like talking about it or sharing it and maybe why that is? God, what a big question and a great question. And I just want to recognize like how I'm feeling in my body right now, which is, which is a practice that like, I think that I do to, to get grounded. I know that like when I know men who, who get in touch with how they feel and how they feel in their body and like, let their body talk to them, like that sort of, um, softens 
callousness or softens like the the defenses that get you know brought up i want to say that like i feel like like this this like i'm not gonna i'm gonna say out loud that i know y'all aren't expecting this from me i'm not gonna expect myself to carry the weight of answering this question because my perfectionist brain is like gotta have the perfect answer you know what i'm saying i fundamentally believe as i give i go out and i give talks about empathy and one of the things i share with with students is like there's a lack of belief that exists in the culture Mm -hmm. of and not just for like a woman's experience but like anybody's experience when it comes to race or gender or sexuality, like mm-hmm. you can name the issue that when people tell you about their experience, there's like, there's a slight doubt in your mind that it can't be that bad or it mm-hmm. doesn't feel as bad as, it, as you say it does. Right. In my experience, I think sometimes, a lot of times that's their negating the responsibility to help or negate it, mm-hmm. like their own denial of your experience or my experience, their denial of my experience is they're offloading the vulnerability of the share or the moment. Um, because if you do believe that, um, for example, like if you were to believe that I was, you know, I, I, I say someone shares they were assaulted sexually, like take the, the Bill Cosby uh, scandal or like any of the me too, any of the um, uh, Harvey Weinstein shit and like all that, every, every single instance, like the denial of their story was a cause for them to just shirk it off. Like the US gymnastics, you know, piece, they just wanted to win fucking gold medals. They didn't care. So I think the denial is the removal of responsibility. Mm. Um, And also that our, I think that, um, that truly like our society was built capitalism, (laughs) the patriarchy, white supremacy, like all of these structures are in place for a reason. And I think that the denial of a woman's experience um, plays into just like, just very broadly, the structure of power that we live within that men still want to hold on to. I mean, I, I, I think that, and, and that women, I have some female relatives like y'all. I was told at like age 15 that from my very conservative, very, very conservative extended family relatives that Hillary, uh, Bill cheated on Hillary because she pursued her own career. Yikes. Super yikes. And that was told to me by women. And so this idea that I think that in that culture, in that frame of mind, women, some women feel safer within the confines of the patriarchy, capitalism, white supremacy, because it benefits them in some way. And so, and, and denying that it benefits them, um, keeps them safe, right? Like, or denying that denying other people's experience keeps them in their bubble and keeps them safe. Because when you allow in that vulnerability and that trauma, Um, it'll change you. And I think that most people don't want to deal with that. I mean, micro level, how many of us, I think all of us probably have secrets in our family of sexual abuse, of physical trauma, of, you know, deep betrayal that goes so deep between the men and women in our family that nobody talks about. Right. Never gets talked about. And it also just becomes accepted, right? Like it becomes such an accepted, whatever those stories are, whatever those those traumas are like, they're just accepted as like, oh, well, that's just how things go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think that like the, the play into like domineering masculinity, toxic masculinity, like definitely um, can, you know, gird 
or like underpin um, fam- structures that make us feel safe or, or make some people feel safe at the top. So Lily, I want to take a point that you just made here around like women too can uphold patriarchy, right? Or these ideas of disempowering um, masculinity or manhood that is harmful to women, to all people, right? Like, and, and I'm interested, like, what is some of the work that you end up having to do with the women that you work with through Date Brazen related to, you know, undoing some of that patriarchy or those ideas that are maybe holding them back? I think that it goes into like the phase at which I'm finding somebody. So like, God bless the people who are, you know, doing the work of convincing women that they should believe other women. (laughs) Like God bless those people. God bless the people who like are doing the hard work of um, helping people unlearn their own white supremacy. Like I'm thinking of Trudy LeBrun, this incredible coach who meets people. Um, I've worked with her, like white folks at this place where they're just awakening and they want to do better. And there are a lot of teachers who will say like, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to talk. I don't like for my own safety, I don't want to touch that. And so that's so much, I I don't want to compare myself to Trudy or compare myself to that moment um, of her, you know, her important work because I'm doing something very different, but, and both, and um, I'm not meeting a woman at a place where she doesn't believe that the patriarchy impacts her. I like, I meet, I work with feminist women who identify as feminists, who like, who identify as trying to be anti-racist to say the black lives matter, who say that. um, And I, and I bring in, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and racism and white supremacy, because I do think that that masculinity and 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 uh, the patriarchy and racism are all very intertwined, though I'm not very fluent in the language of that intermingling. Um, so I don't work with women at that stage of their journey. That's the short answer. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I don't want to touch that. Because like, ultimately, if you want to find a man, if, if a heterosexual woman wants to find a man to make her feel um, whole, if that's what she believes will make her whole, which is a part of the internalization of our, how we're socialized as women, I think. So we do deal in my program. We do deal with healing that somewhat of this idea of you are whole right now. You have value right now without a romantic relationship, because the world has told the world told me I'm you're more valuable in a relationship. You're more valuable with a man, cisgendered straight man. Um, and that's just, so we do untangle that, but they already have recognized the dissonance. It's not like they're coming in and they're like, I don't see the problem. It's like, they're like, I hear that there's a problem in that I'm linking my wholeness and worthiness to a man. I want to untangle that and move forward and find somebody awesome. Cause at some point there's like a therapist. And then there's also like a lot of background work that maybe you don't even want to do. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm not a therapist. I say that up front. I, I work with their clients who only work with a therapist. Shout out to you as an entrepreneur, right? Like it can easily, you can easily get in the mindset of like, oh, I've got to take whatever work. I've got to work with whoever in order to like yeah. get my business going. But Lily, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is like, you are very clear on who your clientele is and like very specific about that. And your business is flourishing. So shout out to you for that on that entrepreneurial grind Thank you. and and just like keeping it in balance. That's amazing. Shout out to intentionality, y'all. That's a great lesson to take just out of this episode in general is that don't be thirsty for any client. Go after and be specific and intentional with the people that you want to work with. And it will potentially flourish. 
I will say I made a lot of mistakes on that journey of like working with people to money. to like, I needed the money. I wanted to work. I wanted the money. And so I got the client. Um, and then that client usually always leads to heartache who I know isn't the right fit. You know, who's just like a money, like give me your money and I'll give you this service. If it's not a soul level fit, then it's, it inevitably re- leads to refunds and broken hearts on both my end and hers. And so it's just better to be very boundaried and like clear. Have you, have you heard of a, a guy named Kevin Samuels? He's like the opposite of you. No, I haven't heard of him. He's like the black male uh, dating coach for women. Um, and he's very abrasive, I, I'd say generally. Um, he's problematic. Yeah, yeah, straight up. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and obviously, also what depends who you talk to, because a lot of people would give an opposite opinion. Um, but he says a man's job is to... Uh, have character to provide and to protect and anything outside of those three things, kind of what you're alluding to leading the family, right. In these three ways is, is not his responsibility. And so there's some very like longstanding patriarchal traditional opinions that he brings to women that a lot of black women are like actually accepting and believing. And I, you know, my friend sent a video um, of something that he sent to me the other day. And I was just like, yeah, I don't jive with some of what this guy is saying, like to each their own, right? But I can't get down with some of the things that he's saying because it just sounds like it's from 1925. And like, I, I don't get down like that. Yeah, I know dating coaches like that too. I mean, I, who aren't probably as famous or well-known, like I talk to women all the time after they've talked to or worked with other dating coaches who tell them, oh, you just weren't feminine enough. Oh, you just weren't, you, you were not living into your divine femininity and you need to let him live into his divine masculinity and this binary of you must be this thing in this box to attract a man, to catch him, catch a dick, and then, uh, and then keep him around by, you know, living into your divine and allowing him to show up for you. Now, I do find that there is some truth in this idea of allowing and that women, especially who have had to fight for, you know, most things, women who've had to fight to be respected, to, to belong, to make their own money, to be respected in their family for being a single woman who makes her own money for, you know, that, that, that there is this energy of push, 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 push. And so allowing somebody kind and awesome to show up for them is very difficult sometimes. Now, I think that this guy and other dating coaches are taking it to a toxic place by saying like, allow to the point of surrendering your, um, your, uh, agency. Like that's what I take issue with. Oftentimes in those ideas of man as provider protector is that it, the implicit idea is that it's exclusive, right? That like somehow a woman in that heteronormative relationship cannot protect or cannot provide. Right. And like, I think where the shift is, is like, those are conversations, right? Ideas of protection and providing should absolutely be in conversation in relationships, but it's not like a, oh, you're the only one that's protecting or providing. It's like, how will we do that for each other and for our families? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like in a dynamic fashion rather than one that is often stifling? And then I think that takes an incredible amount of vulnerability. Um, Cause I know that there are so many expectations of men. I mean, I see it when we go home to, to Chris's family in Texas um, that there are a lot of expectations and a lot of what 
we have created in our relationship that feels so beautiful and so co-created and so like both and, you know, like I think it's easier for us because we live somewhere separate. We're not surrounded by that context or those rules or those um, expectations. And so we have this, we have this freedom to co-create and to both and, and to like figure out what we want to do, how we want to express ourselves. And I think it's a freedom that a lot of men in Alabama and Texas, where our families live, don't have a lot of freedom that women don't have because they're their safety, I think emotional safety, I can speak for, you know, my family and my family in the South, my family specifically, not necessarily Chris's, but like a lot of their safety and community and belonging is tied to abiding by the rules and abiding by the lack of choice that is available. Because if you do not ascribe to these things, you will not have your church community. You will not have your, it's very black and white. It's very, you know, like either you believe you don't believe either you take your husband's name or you don't, and you're not really married either you, you know, all these either ors. So I think the both and is such a cool, magical tool, um, that takes a lot of courage. And I, I see men being courageous every day in, in how they ask for help and how they, um, you know, uh, express their feelings and desires. And I, I know that they exist because I hear my clients meeting them when Mm. female clients who want to date men. That's beautiful. I think we just stumbled upon the three C's choice, courage, conversation as a way of like really redefining manhood and masculinity here. A lot of times we talk about uh, toxic. We say the words toxic and we say the words vulnerability. And I want to know from you what you what are the characteristics of those two words? Right. Just being more clear with people that are listening, like what does it mean to be toxic? What does it mean to be more vulnerable? And like, how does that show up? As a woman, but also as you've seen it from men. Absolutely. I think that that's such an important question because we all have so many definitions of all of the words that we've we've shared. And so my definition doesn't have to be your definition. Um, my definition of toxic is being out of alignment in a way that abandons yourself. So like when I was in a relationship in which I was not being shown up for, um, I was abandoning my own, you know, and I have so much compassion for this version of myself. Cause I, I think that it's, I went through it and I'm glad I'm on the other side. I wouldn't, I don't regret it. Um, both. And I had abandoned myself and that mixed with his behavior made me feel like I was in a toxic sludge. So like, I think that this keyword of agency comes in that, that when people believe that they have the agency to make choices that are in alignment with their values, alignment with their needs, alignment with their desires, that takes a high level of agency that I didn't have. And so, um, I think toxic is abandoning yourself. And then I think, um, I think toxic in a, in a masculine way might mean, I mean, if I'm just verbally processing here, um, closing a closing off as well, right? This like closing off this um, guarded defensive um, posture, because I think a lot of people are taught specifically men in the documentaries I've seen about this, like taught that, that vulnerability is physically unsafe. And so there's this like idea of toxicity to protect it's like abandoning your deeper 
truth to physically and emotionally protect yourself from well, because, you know, as we grow up and even as adults too, like we, we still live in a space where vulnerability with other men is actually often a harmful, dangerous, insecure thing. Right. And so um, that easily, you know, bleeds into relationships with people who aren't men. I think that this label of toxic can be helpful, but can also be very harmful. Like a lot of labels can be that both hand of like, sometimes it's helpful to label. Sometimes it's, it's actually a judgment that we're placing on our survival. You know, so I think that this is about how to move from surviving to thriving. You know, this conversation about toxicity to openness or vulnerability. And I think vulnerability, I define it with Brene Brown's definition, which is showing up when you can't control the outcome. Mm -hmm. And there has to, to be safe to be vulnerable, it requires both this like high level of um, having your own back. And, and then also it requires you to be in a context in which you know you will be physically safe to be vulnerable. So that's like, I, I don't take vulnerability for granted in that way. And people, you know, I knew gay friends growing up who didn't come out for a decade, two decades, three decades, because they would be physically unsafe if they were to be vulnerable and to be themselves. And so I think it's like, yeah, I think that it's a, a complicated conversation, but one that's worth, like, I'm so glad we're having it. Lily, as we come to an end of our episode here today, would love to talk about, like you have a podcast of your own, the Date Brazen podcast. Uh, you've got a few more episodes under your belt from what we have here at the Men Up podcast, but would love to hear a little bit about the podcast hear a little bit about like what's been surprising to you as you've had these conversations related to date brazen and, and had this podcast, like what's surprising you? What are you excited about moving forward? Oh my God. I love my podcast. I love my listeners so much. The date brazen podcast is where I get into all things. Dating as an act of self-care, um, how to really practice self-compassion in your dating journey, how to be really bold in your boundaries and courageous in your communication. I love your three C's. Um, so it's a mix of guests and guest episodes and solo episodes, um, where I speak to, um, you know, therapists who work in trauma around how trauma impacts dating. That episode is coming up. Um, I talk to, uh, um, you know, posing experts who are also uh, curvy and, and body positive about how to, you don't need to lose weight to find love, right? Like how you can just, you get to show up as yourself and, and be uniquely qualified for the love of your life. Um, and so the podcast is a way that I get to talk to people and serve people every day. And I want to amend something that I said at the beginning of this episode um, around like, I get to change lives every day, both and like, yeah, but more so I get to help women change their own lives. And that's the point of, of the work. It's not so that I can be in this position. It's so that women feel that have the agency and the tools that they need to find love on their own terms, to ask for the raise on their own terms, to, you know, move across the country on their own terms, like follow their desires and treat them as if they really deeply matter. That. So can you just kind of wrap up by saying where people can find you, socials, websites, the whole bit? 
Yes. So if people want to find me and check me out, you can listen to the date brazen podcast. You can go find me on Instagram at date brazen, B R A Z E N. Uh, and you can go to my website, datebrazen.com. And if anybody enjoyed this and wants to like get their hands on more dating as self-care, um, practices, then I have this workbook that's free on my website. You can go to datebrazen.com to get that dating as self-care workbook. Well, Lily, thank you so much for being on the men up podcast today. We appreciate you being a part of this season, but also just being a part of our community and helping us all to level up and to thrive however we identify. So Lily, thank you. Thank you. The Men Up Podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.